Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well... Oh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Welcome to the first episode of Unholier Than Now. I'm Philip Picardi, your host. You might know me from my work at Teen Vogue, where I was the chief content officer. More recently, you may know me from being the editor-in-chief of Out Magazine, where I covered all things LGBTQ. Right now, you may be just as surprised as I am to hear that I am hosting a podcast that is about faith and spirituality. I actually wanted to create Unholier Than Now because I myself was having a crisis of faith. I was and have always been a proud homosexual. Even when I was a kid, I was probably one of the gayest people you could ever meet. And I basically always wore who I was immediately on my sleeve. And for any kid, that's probably a good thing, right? But for my family, it was a little bit more complicated. My dad was and is extremely Catholic. And it was a complicated upbringing. When I eventually came out of the closet, I remember telling my dad that I was no longer going to get confirmed. And for those of you who don't know, confirmation is something that you do as a teenager in the Catholic faith, where you basically declare that you are committing yourself to the faith. And I knew that I could not in good faith declare myself or declare any allegiance to Pope John Paul II because he was homophobic. And in fact, because the entire Catholic Church is homophobic. So I walked away from the faith. And so that kind of brings me to today. You know, I have had the same relationship with God um, for the past 15 years that I did when I was 14. And that is that I don't know who God is. What I do know is that I am a newly engaged man. And I know that before I get married, I want to figure this shit out and reassess my values and what I stood for. And when I thought a lot about that, I realized that I had to go all the way back to the beginning to figure out how I could move forward. So for today, it feels logical that we interviewed the person who, for me, has most embodied what God means. And that's my fiance. And I know that that sounds maybe a little bit trite and and, and maybe a little gross, but bear with me. I have not been religious, I have not prayed, I have not done anything spiritual for basically the past 15 years, give or take. And one of the things that I realized when I was thinking about my relationship with God was that love in and of itself feels like a spiritual process or a spiritual journey. And love, like religion, requires devotion and discipline and understanding and sympathy and empathy. And so when I think about love, and when I think about the bond that I share with my fiance, I realize that in essence, I have been a part of a really important spiritual journey for the past five years. And maybe this is the closest thing I've got to God in my life. So I wanna to talk today to my, to my fiance, Darian, 
who is going to share a little bit about his own faith journey and how he approaches God, and especially uh, his being an essential worker in the midst of a global pandemic. We've had a lot of conversations about what God looks like and what miracles look like in this moment. We need more. Those are the words constantly being touted by healthcare professionals at the front lines here and across the globe. Joining us now is Dr. Darian Sutton, who's an emergency room physician here in New York City. Doctor, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, good evening. How are you? I am well. Hanging in there. My name is Dr. Darian Sutton Ramsey, and I am an emergency doctor physician who happens to be the fiance of Philip Bacardi. Can you try that again, but not in slow motion like you've just suffered a stroke? Um, that's not what a stroke would look like. Um, so my name is Dr. Darian, Dr. Darian Sutton Ramsey. I'm an ER doctor um, who happens to be your fiance. Um, it's funny because when I first started dating you, I was very uncomfortable with the way that you constantly invoke God in casual speech. Absolutely. You love saying things like, look at God, mm-hmm. thank God for this beautiful day. Mm-hmm. I was surprised to find out that you, a person of science, that you actually have a very steadfast belief in God. Yeah, because I remember when I got accepted to medical school and my dad said, you are going to see God even more. I remember that. Um, and I didn't understand it until I got into the hospital and realized that I saw the work of God in the art of science every day. How? It, it was really, honestly, anything. It was the idea of understanding what a miracle is and seeing it happen every day. I think that when I walked into the hospital and I realized I was becoming a physician, I knew or I learned in that time that miracles were not the big extravagant things that you see publicized on TV. Um, They weren't the kinds that you see in movies, you know. They were the small, minute things that happened in every day um, that just blessed you in ways that you didn't know you needed. There was a story that you told me recently Mm -hmm. that I actually wrote about. Okay. Where a, you, you know, like when you get to the ER, right, like, Tell me if I'm saying this right. You basically have like a board of people that you need to see as the attending physician, right? Before you get to the doctor. Yeah. Yes. So on one of the patients that you were, that was next on your list. Yeah. Had been seen already by your team. Yes. And he was a black man who presented with chest pain after a run, I believe. If memory serves me correct. Yep. Yep. You're correct. And they warned you that even though he seemed completely fine, Mm -hmm. he, his wife was in the room and she was, quote unquote, extremely agitated. Yep. And you basically got into the room and you told me that you did not see an agitated woman. Who did you see? No, I saw a black woman that was frustrated and scared. So to help people understand before, I mean, anyone who's been to an emergency room gets it. Like you walk in, you talk to someone that usually is someone that's like a, a start nurse. And then you talk to a triage nurse who helps you understand, gets to your symptoms. And then you talk to, you know, um, people who help take your information and then you'll get to the ER and you speak to the team nurse and then you speak to the whole, the resident if you're in a hospital that has residents or the physician assistant or the nurse practitioner. All of these people create notes when they're interacting with you and they 
um, give me their perception while I'm treating patients who are already in the ER. And that way, if anyone is um, in extremis or in distress, they'll let me know a little bit earlier. But that's the path of happening. That's the path that happened. So I happened to be working, and I remember getting a note that this man was coming in, and he was relatively young, um, like old enough to have children and like graduating high school. So I remember getting that information and then um, seeing his vitals and all these numbers. Nothing was alarming. And so I remember allowing the team to continue to work on him while I took care of other patients who were really, really sick. And right before I was going to see him, someone tapped me on my shoulder. And I remember the nurse going, you know, um, his wife is here. Um, If you could see him sooner than later, that'd be helpful because she is angry. Just want to warn you. And um, I remember thinking like, okay, I mean, I get that all the time. Um, The ER is a scary place. So I remember walking into the room and I didn't see anyone angry at all. I saw someone that could probably be like at my summer family cookout. So it was just like someone who I felt very comfortable with. And I think I felt when I walked in the room, a sigh of just like relief, like, oh my gosh, someone who's going to hear me. Um, And I sat down um, and everyone always thinks that I sit down because like I'm establishing patient rapport. I'm just tired. So I sat down and we had a conversation and she sat and she told me, she said, listen, no one is understanding me. Um, He was out for a run. He came back home. He was sweating profusely, and that's not normal. He said he had chest pain ripping to his back, and at a moment, he passed out onto the couch. And it wasn't the kind of pass out where he was just tired. It was like he definitely passed out. And he's trying to tell you that he's okay, but something is wrong. And then she was like, also, she like, we leaned in. She was like, we got a divorce. I don't even like this guy. And I was like, oh, okay. And I remember looking at him and he was basically like, I feel fine. He was like, I want to go to bed. And then she said a buzzword, if anyone is in medicine um, that's listening, that is really textbook and classic, uh, chest pain ripping to your back is a specific diagnosis called an aortic dissection. Your aorta is the biggest artery that's in your body. It's the first artery that leaves your heart. And then it separates into all the smaller arteries that supply your body with blood. And when that rips, if you can imagine, that is your lifeline. And so if that ruptures or breaks or clots, it stops everything. And so I walked over to the CT. um, I spoke to the technician and I said, I don't ever do this. I rarely do this, but I'd like to use my privilege as a physician and move this person to next up. But personally, I didn't have much of a concern that this gentleman was going to have a diagnosis. I was just getting this done because I was trying to appease this, my aunt you know, because she basically was like, you better get in there, do some shit. And I felt like it was my aunt telling me, like, do it now, you know, and for so and I had a lot of respect for this person who I never known, because this is my aunt. And I remember sending him with a resident um, and then talking to her and then sitting down. I remember like going, getting on the phone. Someone was asking me another question and someone who I thought was the radiologist came like running out who had saw the image as soon as the image got produced on the screen and said, this is an emergency. I've never seen this before, but I know that this is wrong. And he said, Dr. Sutton, can you just look at this real quick? And I said, sure, what's going on? He said, just just like look at it. And he was like panting and I looked at it and I saw his aorta on the screen and it was actively dissecting or ripping. And I said, oh my God, this man has an aortic dissection. We need to get this man to the operating room now. Um, And I went back to him and he was completely feeling like, you know, I have a little pain, but I'm okay. Um, But that was in hindsight because he wasn't exerting himself. He wasn't increasing his own blood pressure. Um, He ended up going to the operating room. It was, I remember it was 1159 at night. I was going home. I was going home. I admitted him, 
called the surgeon. The surgeon came in. Everyone came in. We were all having a discussion about his management, controlling his blood pressure, his heart rate, getting him optimized to go to the, sur- the operating room. He had never had a surgery in his life. And now he's going to go to have a surgery which could end his life. Um, and I kept following him. And he ended up walking out of the ER. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm sorry that was a long story, but it's one of the most profound stories in my, in my clinical career, I think, when I think about things that changed my life. When you think about that moment, obviously there are factors that play that are important to talk about. The first is systemic racism and how mm-hmm. it manifests itself in uh, the healthcare system. Absolutely. But then when you walked in, didn't you feel or did you feel like if you weren't there, this could have gone a very different way? It's very possible because to be honest with you, he had nothing on paper that would have caused concern. And by that, I mean some patients have abnormal vital signs, but they look okay. He was the kind of patient that had normal vital signs, otherwise normal labs that initially had returned, and a normal presentation that would have allowed me to say, this person is low risk, he has no reason to have this type of emergency, he can go home. Mm -hmm. In that way, do you feel like there was a reason that you were the doctor to meet with that patient that day. Certainly. This is what we're talking about today, right? It's like the idea of of what God is to me, nudging you, putting you in places and not telling you why. And that's what that was. Sometimes it feels like you are surrounded by tragedy. And right now, mm-hmm. obviously, it's a global pandemic. And people are dying at rates that are completely unnecessary based on irresponsibility at the federal level. Yeah. With all of that in mind, like, especially with how you keep saying that you try to find reasons or you try to find ways that God is present in the emergency room. I just wonder how could it ever be possible to find God in what is happening right now? So it's hard, right? Because... In one instance, you want to have faith. You want to believe that there's a higher power. But then you see so much death and illness. When you look at places that are in, in, in dire conditions and you wonder, where is God in those moments? And I still wonder. I look at the numbers that come in and watch the trucks full of black and brown bodies. And I say, where is God? You know, I not going to be shy. My faith is, is I feel like I stumble with my faith every day, but God is, is hope inside of me. I think I'd have to say, um, I don't, I don't, it's difficult. I don't feel like God is there or has the ability to, to lead everything. And I feel kind of like sacrilegious saying that, you know, and scared saying that, but I, I feel like God is able to nudge and and place, but not necessarily able to change. I don't know. I, I, I don't know enough about God still. Okay, let's take a break right now and come back right after this. Unholier Than That was brought to you by Parachute. I don't know about you guys, but I love my linen sheets from Parachute. They are a literal dream, and they help me dream, so I love them all around. We believe that when we take care of our homes, it takes care of us. 
And what does home mean to you? How have your parachute items contributed to that feeling? Parachute's mission is to make you feel at home. Home is the most comforting word there is. It's where we go to recharge, wash off the day, and rest up for tomorrow. Parachute's everyday essentials are designed in Los Angeles and responsibly manufactured by the world's best craftspeople. They only use the finest materials to make long-lasting, quality home essentials. Parachute linen is light, airy, and casually elegant, giving it timeless appeal. Made in a family-owned factory in Portugal, your linen sheets are made without any harmful chemicals or synthetic softeners, so nothing comes between you and Parachute's naturally comfortable fabrics. Visit ParachuteHome.com unholy for free shipping and returns on Parachute's premium quality, very comfortable home essentials. That's ParachuteHome.com unholy. Whether you're working from home or working on your fitness, you want what you're listening to to be what you're listening to, not what your neighbors are listening to. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds, but before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair, you need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. You already know Raycon earbuds start about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market, and that they sound just as amazing as other top audio brands you know. Their newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds, are their best ones yet, with six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and a more compact design that gives you a nice, noise-isolating fit. Raycon's wireless earbuds are so comfortable, perfect for conference calls or binging podcasts. Unlike some of your other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are both stylish and discreet, with no dangling wires or stems to distract anyone during video calls. The company was co-founded by Ray J, and celebrities like Cardi B are obsessed with Raycons. Pick up a pair and see what the hype is all about. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com unholy. That's buyraycon.com unholy for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com unholy. With everything going on right now, a lot of people are asking if it's even possible to buy life insurance at all. The short answer is yes, you can buy life insurance during a pandemic. And if you have loved ones depending on your income, you probably should. As an insurance marketplace, Policy Genius is on contact with the life insurance companies on their platform every day. They're keeping track of all the changes in the market so you don't have to, which means they can get you covered quickly and for the best price. Here's how it works. Policy Genius compares quotes from the top life insurance companies in one place. It takes just a few minutes to compare quotes from the top insurers to find your best price. This doesn't just save a lot of legwork. You could save $1,500 or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and red tape for free. So if you hit any speed bumps during the application process, they'll be there to take care of everything. So if you're one of the many people looking to buy life insurance right now, but you're not sure where to start, head to PolicyGenius.com. Policy Genius will find you the best rate and handle the process completely. They'll get you and your family protected and hopefully give you one less thing to worry about. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well... Oh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Picking up our conversation with Dr. Darian, in this part of the interview, I asked him about an unusual practice he adopted in the ER. One of the things that you talk about is how you specifically adapted a policy that you implement when yeah. somebody dies in the emergency room. Yeah. Every time I declare someone dead, I have a moment of silence. I say that person's name. And then I usually say this person was probably someone's son, was someone's son, someone's daughter. 
someone's sibling, someone's cousin, and someone's friend. And today their life is ended. And then I asked my team to take a moment of silence. Why did you start doing that? I started doing that because in my senior last year of training as an emergency doctor, a new doctor, Shannon McNamara, came into the room while we were resuscitating someone who was going to die. And I remember the patient dying, and then I remember her. Uh, what we normally do at the death, honestly, is it's really sad. We, we, all, we disperse, and we go and treat our own individual patients, and we leave that patient there for the, for the, um, for the team, whoever's the primary team, to, to um, bag the patient, identify the patient, contact the family. It's just whoever the primary person is, that's their job. And then everyone else, we kind of just leave. And there's no moment of just being like, okay, um, there's no moment of you know honoring. And she took this moment to honor, and it struck me so hard um, to realize that all the deaths I had seen before her, I'd never done that. And I said, and I vowed at that moment that when I was going to be in attending, I'm fully adopting that skill because I think that that's necessary. So now in coronavirus, with the death obviously being everywhere, yeah, and patients being crowded into hospital rooms, um, patients dying in front of each other, I'm sure. Mm. Some hospitals have patients dying in the hallways, in the parking lots, right? Yep. Um, do you still believe that, do you still feel God when people are dying? Um, God's presence is definitely diluted because it's happening so much that I definitely don't feel God in the way that I felt before this all started. And where do you think you look to find God now? Um, I try to, you know, when the first time when I realized God was still here is when during the thick of the pandemic, when we were, I was declaring so many people dead that I was waiting on the phone to speak to the medical examiner to declare the death. And normally it would take like 10 minutes and it would take an hour because so many of us were calling in to report our deaths. And I remember ending the shift and walking outside and seeing uh, tree buds. Like when I was a kid, I used to walk to school and look up. And when I knew it was spring was when I would see the tree buds on the trees. And that was a moment where I knew change was coming. And it was such a moment of like death and darkness. And I remember walking out of the hospital at the end of a night shift in the morning and seeing these first signs of spring and then I felt like God was like, I'm here. Hmm. Um, you often say that working in medicine, you have no choice but to believe in miracles. Mm-hmm. Why do you say that? Because honestly, sometimes, many times, you just can't explain why something worked. And in medicine, we try to say, oh, this A went to B, and then B went to C, and then led, and then every single step but every single day where there's something that's going on and we can't fully explain it. And I think there are miracles inside of those moments. You mentioned that it's harder to find God in this moment of coronavirus, but there was a story that you told pretty recently about this one patient who, from my understanding, one of the weird things about coronavirus is that it can be quite volatile mm -hmm. and once it gets bad, there's often no coming back from it. Mm -hmm. And the tricky thing about the way people die with coronavirus is that because it's a respiratory illness, yeah, um, it deprives the brain of oxygen, which means that patients are very much out of it when yeah. they pass. And then you said that there was this one patient who somehow got his faculties back 
And it was enough for him to be able for one of your colleagues to get him on FaceTime with his family mm-hmm. so that he could say goodbye to them. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that story? Yeah, it was, you know, first off, when people were coming in with respiratory distress, we were just intubating and ventilating everyone. And then the studies came out that we all know about that showed that the mortality after we intubated was up to 80, 90 percent, which is terrifying. And it shaped a lot of the discussions that we started to have with patients before we would do things like intubate them and ventilate them. Something that seemed like it was going to be helpful, hopeful, and um, make them better now is kind of like this like this death sentence. So it really structured the conversations. And so this man was really having difficulty breathing, and um, he was getting tired of breathing so fast to compensate for his lungs being damaged by COVID-19. And there was a moment where he was just like, able to communicate and he was resting but he wasn't he wasn't actively dying and we were able to get the ipad working and for him to be able to see his family and his mom and in my mind it was like not expected that he would wake up and be so aware of his surroundings but he was in that moment and um, he was able to talk to his family and he didn't say goodbye because he didn't know um, but he was able to talk to them and i just thought that that was a miracle Unfortunately, he, so then after that, unfortunately, he succumbed to, he was intubated, he was ventilated, and he was sent to an ICU, which which involved a very long hospital stay in the ICU. Um, and during that time, the family would, you know, FaceTime and try their best to see him, but he wasn't able to communicate because he was in such a critical state. Um, and then he passed away. But I think it was a slight amount of closure to help his family with the fact that he was able to speak to them before he was intubated, that I see miracles in. Do you think that it's stories like these or miracles like these that make it possible to go back to work? For me, like me going back to work? Um, you know, I feel like my relationship with God was really tested during this whole experience. There were moments where I definitely lost my hope and my belief that God was always present when I saw so much death. But then, like I said, there are moments where in many ways I redefined what a miracle was again in in this stage of my career. And that provides me hope. And I feel like although we have seen so much travesty, we're coming back to a life that is different and has taught us so much from this experience. Um, and now I'm starting now to see God. Thank you for being here, for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Look how hard it is for you to say that you appreciate me. It's not hard for me to say that I appreciate you. Uh-huh. It's just, um, <laughs> I feel like I'm being forced to say something, and I know how much you're going to enjoy it. Listen, I listen to podcasts. I know that this is how it's supposed to end. You're supposed to say, thank you, I'm amazing. You're supposed to hug me. Thank and you, I'm me. amazing. <laughs> I love you, babe. I love you, too. I don't know who or what God is, or religion for that matter, or spirituality, But really, what I do know is that I'm no longer at the point in my life where I think it's all a lie. And maybe this pandemic has me going a little nuts and searching for a higher power because there has to be a greater meaning to all of this. Or maybe I'm just 
going through enough of a crisis that I need to find God to help me through. And whatever it is, I'm okay with whatever the journey brings. I This whole show is basically going to be about trying to find spirituality at a time when we need it the most. And we're going to do so by talking to people who are not your typical religious talking heads, right? We're going to be talking to feminist astrologers, and we're going to be talking to theologians who are uncovering gospels that show the truth of, of Mary Magdalene and other religious figures that expose the hypocrisy and truth of the Catholic Church. Or we're going to be talking to volunteer workers and essential workers who are actually the true embodiment of God in our lives right now. Whoever we're speaking to, I think what I'm hoping is that you will find a way or you will come away from each episode with a different perspective of what faith is and how faith can play a role in your own life. And I think the greatest thing as I've started to do this work, the greatest thing I've realized is that faith, even if you are not religious, talking to the faithful and talking about people's faith helps to expand your imagination of the good in others and of what's possible. And I think that that's a really powerful thing for all of us to focus on, especially right now when we're all living through a time of extreme crisis. Unholier Than Thou is a product of Crooked Media. Our producer is Stephen Hoffman, with production support from Camille Peterson and Allison Falzetta. The theme song is by Taka Yasuzawa, and our executive producer is Sarah Geismer. Thanks for listening. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen, remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, 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 of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface.